Thanks to Clear for supporting Market Foolery, Clear uses your eyes and fingertips instead of traditional ID documents to get you through security faster at airports and stadiums. Get your first two months of Clear for free by going to clearme.com/fool2019 and using the promo code fool2019. It's Thursday, May 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analysts Emily Flippin and Jason Moser. Happy Thursday. Hey. Thank you. How we doing? Almost through the week. Almost through the week, and that's good news. Big if day this weekend, right? Uh, Don't forget. Mother's Day. Yeah. Yes. Reminder yes. to all of our listeners out yes. there. Yes. Uh-oh. Don't I see, let that I see Emily, there's an expression. <laughs> on Emily Flippin's face right now, suggesting that she may or may not have forgotten. I actually am joining this podcast after just coming back from lunch with my mom, who was traveling okay. through the area. Okay. So an early gift, early Mother's uh, Day and gift. And I completely forgot to say Happy Mother's Day. No, but it's it's early. You don't have to. Still, I'm not going to see her. Sunday, but, but you, you got plenty of time. You could text her. Text her. I, I what also, an oversight. I also know. Let's hypothetically speaking, if you had to order flowers, let's say on Saturday, I know that works. <laughs> it does. Although I will say, I got on there and ordered my flowers yesterday. You never As know. Getting them down to Moultrie, Georgia, it's yes. a little bit of a delivery gap there from your mainstream metropolis. Uh, so you got to make sure you get it in there early so they get it there on time. I, I went ahead and uh, opted for Saturday delivery in case somebody screws something up. You still have that day. Mm-hmm. I like it. Well, speaking of deliveries and delivery gaps, Etsy down on earnings. Roku up big. We're going to talk about both of those. And one of Facebook's founders calling for the company to be broken up. But we begin with better than expected earnings from Disney. Theme parks, once again, a highlight. And oh, yeah, Disney CEO Bob Iger says that Avengers Endgame will be streaming exclusively on Disney Plus starting December 1st. Disney Plus launching in November. So, nice way to kick things off. Yeah, I reckon if I do see Avengers Endgame, that's how I'll see it. But I probably won't see it just because I'm not really all into that. Universe, I guess, really to begin with. Um, but with that said, I mean, I, you know, send your emails yeah, too. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> There's more HGTV going on on Asset Food Network than than Disney Plus at this point. My daughters are a little bit older now, so I don't know that Disney holds the same status. But um, I mean, yeah, you look at the quarter itself. It was like the Goldilocks quarter. I mean, there was nothing too terribly great, nothing really bad. It was kind of just right down the middle, and and I I think that's what we were all hoping for. I mean, when you when you digest this big acquisition like they're doing, uh, you really just want to avoid any major uh, faux pas, and they've done that. I think when you look at the major money makers for the company, it continues to be the media division and the parks division. Uh, they saw some some decent operating leverage in parks with. Sales up there five percent, but operating income up fifteen percent. So they're doing a good job capitalizing on traffic there. But I think the real uh, stories. I mean, Avengers obviously being one of the big headlines, and, and you've touched on that. I think it's more astounding when you actually look at the rollout of the films that are coming for the rest of two thousand and nineteen. I, I mean, it, it would take the entire show to go through the merits of that lineup. But then we also saw the films that they have planned out for I think something like the next 5 years and it just borders the absurd. I mean it's it's hard to believe that anybody will actually be able to get out there and compete with Disney when it comes to this now because they have so much IP and so many films that they're going to roll out. And then of course the over the top opportunities with ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, Hulu. Uh, ESPN Plus now has 2 million plus subs. Hulu has uh, I think 25 million plus. They're forecasting uh, Disney Plus to have anywhere between 60 and 90 million by 2024. So 
they're starting to make the required investments in that product. And I think that uh, consumers will be pleasantly surprised because that's where all of that great content is going. I don't know if you saw, there was a little headline here earlier that Netflix bought some little child's content provider. It, nothing anyone has ever heard of. But the bottom line is, it was another effort for Netflix to try to develop their own IP, and I think that we're going to sh- we're going to see that's a very difficult thing to do. So while you know I hate that term Netflix killer, I mean I think we're also going to see Netflix facing a lot of challenges in trying to develop their own universe of IP, whereas Disney already has that. I think it's so interesting that as analysts we tend to be so bullish on a company like Disney because their intellectual property and their universe of characters and optionality even is so strong. Yet we're both so unaware of the Avengers. Is Avengers <laughs> Endgame is that is that the last one? Is that why it's doing so well? Because there's there's going to be no more Avengers after this? I ha- I have a hard time believing that they'll just cut that thing off. It's, the, la- it's think... the last of this series, but you've yeah. got so many Marvel characters. Right. I mean that's just it. It's it's uh, the Avengers. The stretch of movies, I think, was something like 21 movies in all here that have all just shelled box office receipts, and and, uh, and and this one was the culmination, I think, of the story that was being told. And, it, and it's worth noting that when we talk about Disney+, Plus, we're not just talking about movies and legacy content, we're talking about the potential to take all of these characters and spin them off into their own shows. Well, right? and that's what so, they do so well. If Disney+, Plus has a few Stranger Things, or a, a few <laughs> hundred Stranger Things... Really hung up on out. that one. <laughs> yes, I know Jason Dunn loves Stranger Things, but you think about the importance of Stranger Things for Netflix. And, I mean, Disney+, Plus. Can it crank out a few of those in their sleep? And I mean, that's going to be the difference here: is that they're going to be able to do this without even really giving it much thought because they already have the property. And you know, Chris Hill made a very good point the other day. We were talking back and forth on Slack. It's one thing for a company to have that IP. But it's another thing for that company's media division and films division to be able to attract such quality directors and producers in the matter. And and Disney does that, obviously, seemingly, constantly. I mean, everything they put out, for the most part, seems to do really well because they attract a lot of talent on the directing side, the producing side. And and, I mean, I, I think you look at your companies like Netflix that are starting to do that as well. But it costs a lot of money to do that, and we're seeing we're seeing the difference there in the two businesses. Well, and um, researching this story, I want to take a trip in the full wayback machine, mm-hmm. December twenty seventh, nineteen ninety six. I found this story online. This news story: Marvel Entertainment Group, publisher of Marvel Comics, today filed for Chapter Eleven bankruptcy protection in New York. Over the past three years, Marvel has been bleeding money thanks to a market decline in comic book. In trading card sales, wow, that core businesses. That sounds like the real end game. Isn't that incredible? That sounds like the real end game. And now look where we are. Well, I mean, you know, we talk about it all the time, and with Disney, I mean, the beauty of the business is you have a lot of different ways to win. It's not to say it's bulletproof. It's not. We saw in the Great Recession. I mean, they were facing a lot of a lot of pressure on the traffic side of the parks, right? Remember, I mean, traffic was down. They had to resort to a little bit of pricing to bring traffic in. But it's just that they have other ways to cope with losses in other segments. And so that's the beauty of the diversity of their business. Um, I don't suspect that'll change. I mean, this is not a stock that's going to double overnight. But if you're looking for a good holding uh, in your portfolio that you can focus not much attention on and hang on to for a long, long period of time, I mean, I think Disney today, it's around 17 times operating income, which is totally reasonable in the face of a market that is seemingly bidding everything. 
uh, up, up to the moon. Okay, well, speaking of up to the moon, a big, big day for Roku, the video streaming service. Shares of Roku up more than 20% on earnings. Emily, a few numbers here. Okay, Roku saying that the number of active accounts increased by 2 million during the quarter. So they've got around 29.1 million users now. Net revenue up, as was average revenue per user. But Roku still not profitable. So, for someone who is not a Roku consumer, consumer or investor, why all the excitement here? Well, you're missing out on both fronts. You're missing out on the consumer front because the Roku platform is just far superior to whatever you're using. I promise you. Right now, what are you using right now to um, watch your stream TV? Is it really though? I don't yes. know. Amazon, um, Netflix, and I've got I've got FiOS. And then we watch a lot of stuff on go. Amazon and Netflix. What makes it superior? I guess is my question. I'm not saying it's not. I just what yeah. makes it what makes it. Superior? So what is it giving me that I don't have right now? It's twofold. So when you sign up for Roku, you're actually giving them a lot of data and a lot of information that these other companies aren't collecting that make it easier for advertisers to make effective use of the advertising. So it's a very attractive advertising platform. Okay, and but that doesn't help me. That's about advertising. That's true. And what you're getting is a content neutral platform. And a lot of people, I think, are discounting this fact. Is the fact that really all of Roku's competitors are doing something in streaming themselves, and that might not sound like a big issue right now. But when you look back to 2017, I believe Google pulled YouTube from the Fire TV and Echo because they're having this big feud with Amazon. Okay. And it's like, okay, this is terrible news because either can prioritize the content that they're creating, targeting it towards you, and you as a consumer don't care if you're consuming it over. Amazon Prime or Netflix or Hulu, you just want to watch your shows. And so the fact that Roku makes it easy, it's its platform, if you read reviews about the platform, if you just use a Roku platform itself, it's much simpler to use than a lot of the existing platforms, um, regardless of age. So everybody is capable of using it. The, the remote is intuitive and simple. And moreover, it's not something that's connected to your Amazon Prime or your Netflix subscription. It's Independent of all of those things, so you can make great use of it regardless of who you use. Otherwise, okay. So, how about the stock though? When does the company need to start turning out a profit? I'm not too worried about it right now because they're reinvesting a lot of money, and I, the way I see advertising and digital advertising revenues going, I'm not too worried about them over profitability. Like they're they're unprofitable, but I think if they were able to, I think especially with Disney Plus, they get a fee every single time somebody comes and buys something over an app. So someone buys. Disney Plus on their Roku device, they get a cut of that. So I think there's a lot of ways for them to expand monetization or monetization in the future. Right now, I think it's important for them to continue to expand user base because, as you mentioned, while users are growing a lot, they're still not as big as the competitors. So I don't mind the fact that they're unprofitable. That doesn't make me nervous. Over the long term, sure, I don't want to see them filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, right? Like Marvel did. Uh, but I don't think that's an issue right now. Jason, you warm it up to it. You know, I always I think when they went public, I initially saw it as simply a hardware play, and, and that's obviously a race to the bottom. Um, I've always I've always felt like this one was a bit beyond me. I just didn't quite see the advantage. And I mean, we use the Amazon Fire TV box at our house, and I mean, it works really well. But I think your points about a, a neutral platform are are good ones, and, and I think that. That is what is making me come around understanding the stock a little bit better. And let me tell you about why advertisers like to advertise over Roku as opposed to something like Amazon Fire. Um, what they're doing is when you sign up for Roku, 
in order to make an account, you have to give them information about your current cable subscriptions. So they want to know, are you attached to a cable company right now or are you not? They collect the time that you spend in various apps. And moreover, if you're watching or doing something in those apps, the time that you spend within those apps themselves. They pass this information along to advertisers, which lets advertisers make more informed decisions about how they're going to advertise. So if you're a cable customer and they think there's a chance that you could be seeing their advertisements on some type of, of traditional platform, right? your cable subscription, they're not going to advertise to you. They're going to devote their advertising resources to people who don't have cable subscriptions. So the fact that they're collecting this data, it makes the, the advertising value so much more valuable to these advertisers. Okay, well, you've got me interested. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to think about it. I will admit, the valuation, especially with today's pop, is is pricing in a lot of continued growth for this company. But, you know, if you've ever seen the founder and CEO talk, he's just, and I'm not just saying this because he went to AM <laughs> and I know I'm from Texas, but man, is there no person that loves this company more than he does? He's really inspiring. I had no idea. He's an Aggie, the founder. He is an Aggie, yep. Okay. For well, engineering, I believe, well, too. Hook so, him. really. Well, there you go. Okay. Well, shout out to Clear for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Clear uses your eyes and fingertips instead of traditional ID documents to get you through security faster at airports and stadiums. Emily and Jason, I don't know about you, but when I'm flying, I always get stressed out that I'm gonna be I'm gonna be late. I'm not gonna give myself enough time. It's that whole area before you get through security that just drives me crazy. It's the unknown. It is the unknown, and clear helps with that unknown because Clear reduces that stress by getting you through security with the tap of your fingers. So you can get to your gate faster and reduce that pre-flight stress. And you won't be fumbling around trying to find your ID. I've got that move, the fumbling around move. Well, you won't be doing that because with Clear, you are your ID. Yes, Clear replaces the need for physical ID cards by using your eyes and fingertips to get you through security. Signing up for Clear is easy. You can create your account online before going to the airport. Once you get to the airport, a Clear ambassador helps you finish the process. Then you can immediately use Clear. Oh, yeah. Clear also offers family plans. So if you're traveling with your family, you can add up to three adult family members at a discounted rate, and kids under 18 are free. Right now, listeners of Market Foolery can get their first two months of Clear for free by going to clearme.com slash fool2019 and using the promo code FOOL2019. That's C-L-E-A-R-M-E dot com slash FOOL2019 with promo code FOOL2019 for your free two months of clear. Let's talk Etsy. Shares down around 11% on earnings. Some sales concerns here. Etsy shares hit a high in March, so it's had a nice run. Now, Emily and Jason, Etsy is an online marketplace for crafts and all sorts of homemade items. When you look at these numbers, what do you make of the earnings? So, the market's reactions are always so interesting and sometimes a bit confounding. Um, I mean, when you look at the actual quarter itself, this was a really good quarter by virtually every metric, and we'll talk about those in a minute. Um, I mean, as a shareholder myself, I'd say today's reaction is pretty short sighted, but I guess that's kind of in line with how the market does things anyway. So, um, if there's a theme uh, for this quarter, I think it was marketing. Uh, Marketing was 
a word used 46 times on the earnings call. And, and the point was that they had pulled back a little bit on some of the marketing spend. They were recalibrating uh, in order to figure out areas where marketing was worked best, where it wasn't working well enough, uh, to, to ultimately get better long-term ROI on those investments. So, perhaps the feeling was that profitability this quarter was a bit inflated, uh, because they will pick back up on that marketing throughout the rest of the year, that marketing spend throughout the rest of the year, and maybe that plays out on profitability. Uh, they did raise revenue guidance for the year while leaving EBITDA guidance essentially the same. So, so maybe that's where the market is is a little bit concerned. I mean, it doesn't help that the stock was not what we would call cheap anyway. But I mean, to their credit, at least they're profitable and they make you know a ton of cash. So it's a good business model. Uh, but we're talking about the metrics. I mean, the gross merchandise sales were up 19 percent. Revenue was up 40 percent. Sellers up 13 percent. The number of buyers up 18.3 percent. International is becoming a bigger part of the pie at 38 percent of total gross merchandise sales. I mean, everything this business is doing is is working. Um, so, with the market selling the stock today, I mean, I get it. Perhaps on the short term concerns there, but I think if you're a shareholder and can look at this with a three to five year timeline, as I am, I, I, I do look at today as perhaps an opportunity to pick up shares of a good business that are substantially cheaper than they were yesterday. I love how when the market pulls back, we focus so much on profitability. You know, it's always this thing you want to remind people: it's profitable, it's profitable. Big pullback, but it's profitable. Um, what's interesting to me about Etsy is I couldn't agree more with your analysis that this is kind of a short-term, short-sighted response. And I don't worry about Etsy's business long-term because a lot of the things that would have put this company under have already happened, and Etsy has survived them. You know, Amazon moving into this space, there was concerns over whether or not they'd be profitable. Right? Etsy has proven that it has. A good business model. It's doing something that's great in the world, smart management, and of course, profitability. So, long term, this doesn't really change the needle much for me. I will say that it does look expensive by traditional metrics, but it has still has 40% revenue growth. I mean, the market is killing it over 40% revenue growth. So, it's it's still growing significantly. Yeah, I mean, it's been selling at 80 plus times earnings for a while now. And I mean, today it is trading at about 80 times earnings, 40 times free cash flow. So, that's not that crazy. Uh, your point about leadership I think was spot on. Josh Silverman's been the CEO there now for 2 years and he's just done great things with the business. I mean, I I I compare I like in this Business a lot to Wayfair, um, in that they are very similar because they're both ultimately just networks connecting buyers and sellers. So Etsy isn't this company that has this big inflated balance sheet with inventory that ultimately will become obsolete. I think the biggest difference between something like Etsy and Wayfair is on the margin line. Etsy brings in 65 to 70 percent gross margins. Wayfair. That's that's around 24%. And the reason's simple. I mean, shipping furniture across the country is a lot more expensive than shipping these craft-made goods. So I, I, there are a lot of things that Etsy is doing well. I, I I do feel like looking through the call. I, I mean, I just I don't see any red flags that make me think. Hmm, I'm not sure about still owning this business. If anything, it's kind of the other way around. I feel like today I saw so many good things. I kind of feel like maybe buying a few more shares, to be honest. <laughs> Well, let's close with a little Facebook. Chris Hughes co-founded Facebook back in 2004 with Mark Zuckerberg. Now, Hughes is calling for Facebook to be broken up. Hughes said that Facebook has become too big and, quote, far too powerful. And Emily, Hughes says that CEO Mark Zuckerberg is not accountable. So, what do you think? 
I think it must be so uncomfortable to be Mark Zuckerberg. In the world we see today, I'm not jealous of his position at all. Um, the piece was interesting. It definitely, I would not call it like a hit piece. Um, it was just expressing concern over the acquisitions that Facebook made of Instagram and WhatsApp. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, it says this whole marketplace, I guess, exists, right? 80% of American adults use Facebook or one of their products. And that says a lot in terms of Facebook being a monopoly. I don't think anybody could say that Facebook is not a monopoly, to be honest with you. And I think there's probably a good argument to be made that these acquisitions shouldn't have happened. Um, that being said, you cannot fault Mark Zuckerberg for trying to return shareholder value to the best of his and his management's ability to. And clearly, as things started to go mobile, they needed to get on that train. And Facebook itself at the time was not really a mobile use platform. And so these acquisitions were smart. But I just think it's it's interesting because Social media in general is kind of a natural monopoly simply because the network effects are so strong. Once you have a strong group of people in, it kind of fuels itself. And so you're never going to have small local social networks, um, not to the extent that any person would be willing to invest in a company like that. So um, I, I, this doesn't concern me very much. I don't think it dissolution of Facebook is coming. But I will say that future acquisitions, I think they're going to be hard, if not impossible, for Facebook to come by. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, we could sit here and hash it out all day long about the drawbacks of how big Facebook has become. But the bottom line is, like, it's not like they're twisting people's arms to use the platforms. So, I mean, in hindsight, yeah, they probably shouldn't have let some of those acquisitions happen. But you can't do anything about it now. Um, I mean, other than perhaps try to split it up, and and maybe there is that effort down the line to do that. I. I Kind of wonder if that ultimately will happen, but I think Emily's right. Any future acquisitions are going to be held under a serious microscope. Probably won't be able to happen. I am a little bit concerned with Facebook's efforts to try to get more into the payment sector. I mean, like I just can't fathom giving them any type of payment information whatsoever. You've but got now, some trust issues. That's, well, that's coming from someone who doesn't use any of their services either. So, like, I, you just you know take that for what it's worth. You but, don't watch Stranger Things, and you don't use Facebook. <laughs> I don't. And, and I tell you, <laughs> I did see the first season of Stranger Things, and you paint me to be a hater. I really, I'm just indifferent. That's I'm just saying, what do those kids the ever do to you? What do those kids ever do to you? You and I are the you? same age. The nuance just didn't true. strike that me like true. it struck I'm you. older, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Look at all my gray hair. You should know that. <laughs> But no, I mean, I do think Facebook is going to face a lot of challenges going forward and trying to find ways to grow beyond the advertising model. And for investors, that's a problem. For Zuckerberg, that's a big problem. But uh, hey, you know, he's he's got some time to try to figure it out. Well, I want to give a quick shout out to our weekly show, Motley Full Money. Chris did a great interview with NYU business professor Scott Galloway, and we talk a lot about big tech. And Galloway makes the case for breaking up big tech. Um, he actually uses the phrase invasive species. And he says that, you know, break them up not because they're evil, not because they're destroying jobs, but, well, I won't give it away, <laughs> but he has a very compelling case for why he thinks, you know, if you're a capitalist, it's in our best interest to break these companies up. He also makes some predictions about what some of these companies like Amazon may do to get out in front 
of any potential breakup. Well, think about breakups that have worked out well, like eBay spins off PayPal, and it's been a wonderful situation for PayPal investors. I suspect if Amazon spun out web services, that would be a phenomenal investment. I mean, Facebook could certainly spin something out, uh, whether it's Instagram or WhatsApp or anything that comes down the pike there for them. Um, and I suspect that would work out well. But I mean, I, th- I think it's also let's be very fair here and not just hold Facebook in the crosshairs. Yeah. Because you mentioned big tech. I mean, Amazon's not exactly guilt free here either. I mean, I was just reading something earlier about the fact that they have this Echo Children's product and they've been recording those conversations uh, in, in, in they shouldn't have been doing so. I mean, Google, Amazon, Facebook, they're all complicit to a degree. These are conversations that certainly we need to continue to have because these companies really aren't getting smaller. Have you listened to our Scott Galloway interview already? Uh, I've you not, but I've, I read something that he wrote it's in fantastic. regards to the Big Four, and he 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 makes you think a lot about some some interesting points. He sure does. Well, yep. let's wrap up with our desert island question. As always, don't invest this way. <laughs> I mean, you're on a desert island, but you've got time. But you probably shouldn't invest this way if you weren't on the desert island. But you're on a desert island. So here we go. You've got Disney, you've got Roku, you've got Etsy, and you've got Facebook. You have to buy one of those companies and hold it for the next five years. What are you going with, Emily? I'm so used to you giving me like four or five really questionable <laughs> investments. All of these, I think, are good investments, yes, including Facebook, at least right now. Um, I would probably say Roku out of those, though. I think it has the most growth potential. Uh, even at these today's valuations, I think it's a great company changing the space. Really inspired by it. Jason, I feel like if I'm stuck on a desert island for a while, I'm going to get bored, and so I'm going to resort to making some things, painting or crafting or whatever it may be. So hey, why not buy Etsy with the thinking that whenever I get off that desert island, I I could probably use their network to sell these things that I've made. Or you could sell your desert island story to Disney Plus. That's going to be that could be more lucrative because there are potentially many characters you could spin out from that. From what's going on inside my head, and I mean they're they're probably not going to have many ideas, right? You're just competing with what four thousand plus Marvel you're, characters. You're making me think. Star twice Wars, about this now, Pixar. <laughs> you're making. You know me what? Think Stick twice. with Etsy. <laughs> Emily, Jason, thanks for joining me. Thank you. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on Monday.